don't you turn with me to Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Debbie? Amen. Let's give Debbie a big hand for the reading of God's word this morning. It's awesome. Okay. Hey, thanks for uh, being here this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Andy. I'm the counseling pastor here. Josh is uh, away on vacation. It's a real privilege and a treat to uh, uh, preach this morning and uh, share God's word with you. It, I, when, at this week, while we, I was preparing, Josh said, dude, I, he always calls me dude. Dude, I think that God dialed up the psalm for you. This is such a great counseling passage, group of scriptures. This is a great psalm. This is a great psalm. Let's pray, and then um, let's get right into it, okay? Heavenly Father, thanks for the morning. Thanks for the nice breeze that's blowing through here, Lord. Thanks for Tent Church. God, we look through the... Uh, course of our life, and we see pockets of places, God, where we've been downcast, where we've been depressed, and yet, God, we remember the end of Psalm 42, which says, hope in God. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in God. It's in you, God. And so, we should be the most hopeful people on earth, but we're not always. And we're praying, God, that this morning would be a springboard to hoping in God. It's a busy morning. A lot of things have already happened this morning, God. Our lives are complicated, and we're praying, God, that you would work by your spirit through your word in our life and in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as a kid growing up in southeast Iowa, my TV choices were limited. Can you relate? I had a very small list. I remember when we got cable TV and there were 13 channels and we couldn't believe it. As a kid, I watched a variety of shows, but 
there was hee-haw. Now, I got to be honest and tell you, there were, there were parts of hee-haw that made me chuckle and parts that made me roll my eyes, but the segment, more than the howdy, was the gloom and despair song. You guys know what I'm talking about? Gloom and despair don't make me sing it. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. You know the next line. If it weren't for bad luck, gloom, despair, and agony on me. And that song has stuck with me, and I'm sorry. (laughs) Ed Welch, in his book, A Stubborn Darkness, says this about depression. I believe, I believe as I look through Psalm 42 that that the psalmist is talking about his depressed soul. It's about his depressed soul. Here's what Ed Welch says. He says, depression was like this for me. I felt like I was walking through a field of dead flowers, and then I bent down and I found a beautiful rose. But when I went down to smell it, I fell into an invisible hole. I fell into an invisible hole. And Charles Spurgeon describes his own depression this way. He said, I could weep like a child for an hour, and yet I didn't know what I was weeping for. A veritable howling tempest in my brain, a malignant sadness. My bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. The unhappiness was like, it was like dust that infiltrated everything in my life. I'm now a man in despair. I'm rejected, abandoned. I feel shut up in an iron cage from which there is no escape. You ever felt like that? You ever felt the gloom and despair of depression? We've all felt it. The agony of a depressed soul. Sometimes it's it's not like Welch describes it at all. Sometimes it's kind of like it's kind of like when you see a solar eclipse and the light just turns a funny shade. It's it's diffused. It's it's unclear. It's almost like twilight. It's 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 not light at all. But then it is. Depression has various degrees and intensities. You'd agree with that, wouldn't you? Various degrees and intensities. But what we know is that it's real and we really feel it, and it affects us. And in Psalm 42.5, the psalmist says, why are you cast down? Why? It's a question. It's almost rhetorical. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That word cast down, that means to bow, to kneel, to be brought low in humility. Depression will knock you to your knees. And it'll humble you in ways that you don't fully realize until it really happens. And at times it can just seem downright unbearable. And it comes and it goes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's full on and other times you don't notice it quite so much. It wavers and it waffles back and forth. But it's internal. Depression's internal, and it works itself to the external. Lack of sleep, 
lack of appetite, all kinds of things, relationship problems, feeling disconnected, being disconnected. You feel it and it shows. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? And why are you, why are you in toil within me? It's the inner man that's affected. And our hearts hurt. And it's in turmoil. And that word for turmoil really means to murmur, to mourn, to rage. It means to be in an uproar. That's what it means, to be in an uproar. Depression in our hearts is an uproar. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like your soul's just in turmoil and your life's in an uproar? Your heart's unsettled? Just the other day, because we're a counseling church, and we're counseling people all the time, and depression's one of the most common things that we deal with. Just the other day, I was talking with a person about the events of their life, and here's how they explain it. I just feel frozen. I just don't know what to do next. I don't know how to move forward. That's common. That's common language with people that are depressed. You feel it. I feel it. They feel it. They don't feel like they can move forward. They don't know what to feel about their feelings. People get stuck. And like anything, the more repetitive it happens, either good or bad, that becomes your habit. And if we're not careful, we can become depressed, and that can become the habit of our life, and we can stay stuck if we're not careful. Praise God that the Bible isn't silent about depression, amen? He's not silent about your depression, and God's not silent about your problems. Your life can change. That's hope in God. Your life can change. And I love the honesty of Psalm 42. When you read it, I, you get this sense that the psalmist is, he's processing in real time the things that are going on in his heart and in his mind. For instance, verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He goes without food and all he can do is cry. You ever been like that? Or verse 9. God, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? What about my enemies? What about people in my life? I feel wounded, verse 10, as with a deadly wound in my bones. You ever felt, felt it that deep? You ever felt wounded by people so deep that you didn't know how you were going to recover? I remember when I was playing football in college, I bought a new pair of cleats, and I stepped on the back wrong. This is back in the day when you had, like, screw-in cleats. And so you had this little metal kind of stub that would eventually kind of poke up through the bottom of your foot. Have you ever had a bruised heel? It hurts. And it hurts because your bone, it's, it's on your bone. That's what he's saying. My bones hurt. And then he says things like this. My soul pants for you, O God. O God, my soul thirsts for you. Verse 5, hope in God, for I shall praise him. Verse 8, at night his song is within me. And verse 11, hope in God, 
for I'm going to praise him. He's my salvation and my God. Is he depressed? That's the question. Is he depressed? Is he praising God? It's confusing to me. Is it confusing to you? Which is he? Is he depressed? Or is he, does he have faith? He can't decide. Well, let me encourage you with this thought. Faith and emotions, really, really strong emotions, the kind that come with depression, the kind that ties you up in knots, can and does coexist in you. It can coexist in you. You wonder, how can I be depressed and have faith? And I'm saying, Psalm 42, that's what he's doing. It's just not wise to stay with no action. Okay? Don't believe the lie that tells you that Christians don't feel this way and that your, that your depression disqualifies you from being one. That's not true. Life is messy. And we're broken people in needs of God's help all the time. All the time. But I thought I got saved and my depression got solved. I thought when I got saved, all my depression got solved. Well, if all of your problems were eliminated at salvation, there'd be no, there'd be no need to do things like Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens. There'd be no need for the body of Christ. It would just be irrelevant. We would just be siloed Christians that just handled things ourselves. There'd be no need to remember 1 Corinthians 12. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices. But now we're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. But 1 Corinthians and Galatians 6 is real. It's real. And we're called and instructed to interact together, to help each other, to be more like Jesus, and move forward in our Christian walk, especially in times of trouble and depression, because we all have it. We all have it. Charles Spurgeon also said, every man is like two men. We're duplicates, if not triplicates, and it's well sometimes to hold a dialogue with oneself. Why aren't you so east down, O oh my soul? I always notice that, that as long as I can argue with myself about my depressions, I can get out of them. That, that's a great word. I can get out of them, but when both men within me go down at once, it's indeed a downfall. But when there's one foot on the solid rock and the other comes up pretty soon, faith and strong emotion do coexist. But trusting Jesus is all the key. You know, we don't just wake up feeling depressed. You know that, right? You don't just wake up and blink, you're, you're depressed. Likewise, you don't just wake up and no longer have it. Depression and recovering from it are processes and habits. They're processes and habits that are formed over time. And I want to be clear about this. Sorry about the wind. There's too much breeze. Who would, who would think I would be complaining about too much breeze? I want to be clear about this. We can't blame other people for our depression. 
depression requires that we take responsibility. So this morning I want to share with you two contributing factors to depression and three helps, three practices, okay? Let's make it really practical. Contributor number one, circumstances. Circumstances. You can look at verse 7 and look at verse 9. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Why have you forsaken me? When the circumstances and events of your life crash over you one after another, wave after wave after wave after wave, it's hard not to be affected. Just a couple weeks ago, we had truck trouble. <laughs> you ever had truck trouble? You ever have car trouble? And I mean, it was a comedy of errors. One light after another light after another light to a mechanic, to a mechanic, to a mechanic. And then I'm driving my lawnmower, and you know what happened with my riding lawnmower? As I'm driving, the front wheel popped off and went off to the right. I'm like, could it get any worse? <laughs> had to order a wheel, had to take my truck in. Sometimes, now that's small, right? That's small. But sometimes the circumstances of your life come in waves after wave after wave after wave, and it's really hard to recover. And it's hard to respond biblically in faith, but it's not impossible. It's not impossible. The stress of dealing with waves of problems can push a person down towards depression. You can say to yourself, I don't deserve this, Lord. When it seems there's no end in sight, you just feel smothered. You got to fight. It's a spiritual battle. You got to fight to remember that God is good and that he's doing good things for you. Romans 8, 28 and 29, we talk about it a lot in counseling. Of course the circumstances of our lives affect us. But remember this, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have trouble. Sometimes unrelenting waves of trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So that's circumstance number one. Contributing factor or circumstance number two, other people. You, have, you ever have trouble with people? <laughs> you ever have trouble with people? They, these other people, say to me all day long, where's your God? Where's your God? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? You could look in verses 3, verses 9, verses 10. My adversaries, they taunt me. They say to me all day long, hey, where's your God? That word for taunt means to rail. You ever been railed on by people? It's bitter. That's what it means. It's to be complained about bitterly. Have you ever had anybody rail on you and complain about you? That doesn't make us feel very good. You don't feel good when people rail on you. But you know that God uses other people, even and especially problem people in our lives, for divine purposes. For divine purposes. If you don't, if you don't think so, go to Galatians 2. Read about Paul and Peter. Paul says, and when I saw Peter... I opposed him to his face. Or about Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15. Read Galatians 6. We talked about that, carrying one another's burdens. Relationships are messy, and people are messy, 
but God uses people for sovereign purposes. And yes, He uses problem people in our life when we, and, and when we fail to respond biblically by trusting Him and His good purposes, we can feel overwhelmed, we can feel hopeless, we can even feel victimized. We can even feel victimized. And when you get to that spot, that can quickly give way to a depression. But change, change is where it's at. We have to have a starting place. Those are contributing factors, but Psalm 42 is not silent. It's not silent about change. Where do I start? What's my starting place? Well, depression happens. A tormented soul, a downcast soul happens when we fail to respond to the circumstances and the events and the people and the problems in our life biblically the way God wants us to. And then we develop these thoughts, don't we? These sad thoughts, like I biffed it. I didn't do it. I didn't handle it the way I should have. And then you can't get away from those thoughts, and they build, and they build guilt. And then you have feelings of worry. And what does the Bible say about worry? Don't worry about anything. But in everything, trust God. And so the way out of depression, the way out of that cycle is to reverse the course and take action. That's what the Bible calls us to do, take action. And practice what's doing right. And here's the right starting point for all change in your life. God is big. God is big. It's not a secret. God's big. Psalm 42.1 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That word for pant means desire. It means deep desire. To change, God can't be small to you. To change, God can't be small. He can't be small. And when he's big, when he's big to you, you just want more and more and more and more of him. And he's getting, he's getting bigger. And he's the most important thing in your life. And his influence is growing. That's, that's how a person changes. His influence in you grows. And it becomes bigger. And you know what thirsty people do? What do thirsty people do? They drink. That's what they do. They drink, and they drink a lot. You know, you can live, you can live about three or four weeks without food. I couldn't, but you could. All right? But you know what? You can only live about three or four days without water. And you'd be surprised. You'd be su surprised at the people I talk to, and I'd say, you're thirsty, are you drinking? And they say, I haven't drank God's word in for days, for weeks. I haven't picked up the Bible for months. And I'm like, well, thirsty people drink. And when God's big to you, you drink him in. Some people think they can spiritually survive when they're in a depression, especially for weeks on end without the watering of the word. A dry, dusty, parched soul is simply a soul without Jesus. It's a soul without Jesus. 
You got to hydrate your soul with the one that can satisfy your thirst. And you got to get on the road to repair. You got to water your soul with the word of God. You got to you got to pray to him. You have to commit to seeing him as a priority. And he's got to be big in your life. And when he's big in your life, you'll just want him more. And you'll want him more. And you'll want him more. That's why James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he'll do what? Draw near to you. He'll get really big in your life. So that's the starting point. And then here are three practicing points. Practice number one from verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in the procession of the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. You know what really helps in depression when you're down, when you're feeling depressed? Remembering what God has done for you in the past. You're here, aren't you? You're here, right? Is God at work in your life? Are you drawing breath? You're drawing breath. Did you eat breakfast this morning? Did you eat, bre- did you eat supper last night? Are things happening in your life? Of course they are. If we're not careful, the problems of the present will overshadow God's help to us in the past. And that's the way problems are. The problem of the day becomes so large that we forget how good God is. We'll minimize his goodness and the negativity of our circumstances spreads like gangrene. And it becomes a lens that we begin to focus all the events of our life on and we'll see the events of our life through the problem that's happening now and not how good God is in the past. In Joshua 4, God instructed Joshua to take 12 men, you know this story, and take 12 stones and pile those stones in a place. And he says this, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Remembering what God does in the past keeps us from having glasses wearers. Raise your hand. Any nearsighted people here? I'm nearsighted. Nearsighted. Keeps you from being myopic. Keeps you from only seeing things up close. The problems of the now. Thinking and meditating on God and how he's helped you in the past. And he has. And he has. You're still here. God's helped you. And remembering him helps you be filled with hope. And keeps you seeing God's love for you keeps you afloat, renews your strength, keeps you going, and helps God become even that much bigger to you. Practice number two, you can look at this, verse five. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God, and he repeats it and ends with it in verse 11. That word for hope means to expect That word for hope means to expect. Help in practice number two is hope for what God is doing in the present. So we remember how he works in the past, and we're hoping and expecting that he's working in the present, and he is. Here's a question. Believer, 
do you think God's working right now in your life? It's a good question. Is God working in your life? Is he doing things in your life? It's confident expectation. Do you expect that he's going to do things in your life today, in this service, right now? The confident expectation, the hope that God is up to something good changes everything about your perspective. Changes everything about your perspective. And then it changes how you respond in your depression. A life that's focused on the goodness of God, how he's worked in the past, and how he's working right now, because he just doesn't do random stuff. He does calculated stuff in your life to draw you closer to himself, to make him huge in your life, to draw you closer to him. And then you hope about his goodness, his steadfast love, Verse 8, well, it's just, it's just a motivator. That's what it is. It motivates you. It activates you to respond rightly and biblically. When you remember how good God is and how good he is in the present, when you know that, that he's free, that he's, that he's for you, you're, you're free to respond rightly and biblically. That's the thing about depression. That's what Spurgeon says. I feel locked in like... I can't respond, and I say, well, that's not true. That's not true. The hope of the gospel is that you can respond right now in a biblical way that speaks to your depression when you see God as big and you know that he's working in your life. It lifts you up, gives you hope, and moves you out of your depression. And so responding biblically by faith to your depression builds great spiritual momentum in your life, and it's what we need. The third practice from verses 4, 5, and 11. Praise him all the time. Praise God all the time. He's worthy of our praise. Amen? Amen? He's worthy of our praise all the time. You know what's common in depression? You've felt it, and I've felt it. Self-pity. Self-pity is a common component of depression. Self-pity happens when I have this perfectionistic view of what I should be doing in my life, and then when I fail to do perfectly what I calculate to do, I feel that failure. And when we fail, we get stuck on feelings of failure, and and we become depressed about what we don't achieve. That's what happens. And it's really self-focused. That's what self-pity is. It's self-focus. It's not that I don't have enough self-love. Oh, I have enough self-love. It's that I love myself too much. And I know that's a hard word. I know that's a hard word. But loving myself too much, being so self-focused, means that something else doesn't get my attention. It means that other things don't get my attention. And after all, God's not willing to share his glory with anybody else or anything else. We would call that idolatry. We'd call that idolatry. And so, believer, God is working to get your focus off of you, not all about you, and onto him. And what waters the soul is a Godward focus. 
and less focus on ourselves. Paul Tripp says it this way in his book, Suffering. Suffering exposes our weaknesses, our blindness, and our lack of control. And it reminds us that God's grace doesn't work to propel our independence, but to deepen our vertical and horizontal dependence. That's a great word. Praising God in the right biblical is the right biblical response to the circumstances of your life because it focuses our attention on Him and not ourselves. Psalm 145, 2 says, Every day, every day, I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. And so therefore, praise to God causes our hope to rise, changes our perspective, reduces our self-focus, magnifies God, and when it's practiced, lifts us up out of a depression and rightly into a heart of worship that keeps us from being stuck. So the practices are, are they're practical. They're practical. Remember what God's done in the past. Think about how he's working in you right now and praise him all the time. This morning is a communion. I hope that's a help to you. Um, and if you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service. This is a communion Sunday. And uh, we want to invite um, those of you that are believers in Jesus to participate in communion. If you're a believer, I'm hoping that you're encouraged this morning. Communion's a solemn occasion where we get to remember Jesus' impeccable life. After a sermon like that, after hearing things about depression, maybe there's business that you need to do with God. Maybe there are things that you need to think about. God calls us to a life of repentance, and we get to reflect and praise God this morning. So we're going to uh, have the elements out. Uh, Chris will come up and uh, play while you're taking the elements. We would ask that everybody would go out and form a line so that we could kind of space out and get the elements and then come back in. And when we uh, come back in, we'll take communion together. Um, if you're not a believer in Jesus, we would encourage you not to take communion, but to take that time to consider trusting him as your personal savior. And a person saved when they believe that they're a sinner and in need of saving. And you understand that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice on your behalf. And a person is saved when they understand that sin separates them from God, but Jesus paid the penalty for you on the cross, and you're saved when you believe in him by faith. And so we would ask that you wouldn't take communion, but yet you contemplate that thing and your relationship with Jesus and commit your time that way. Let's pray, and then, then the deacons will get communion set up. And when you're ready, go ahead and head outside, grab the communion elements, and come back, and we'll take them together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're good to us. Thanks for your goodness to us. And uh, God, we remember that, you're, that, you're work, that you've worked in our past. You're working right now, God, and we're here to praise you. And... Uh, we're thankful, God, um, that you're at work in our life. You obviously are. You've brought these people uh, here because you're sovereign. And we all have needs, God. Pray that you would speak to our needs this morning. 
And uh, we look forward, God, to uh, the communion table and, uh, God, the time that we can spend with you thinking about you and praying to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.